You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. One of the conversations I have most frequently with clients when I meet them for the first time is a conversation on work-life balance, or actually, should I say, the imbalance or the perceived imbalance between work and life. It is one of life's great challenges, or at least the people with whom I am talking, when I, as I said, initially talked to them, perceive it as one of life's great challenges. Of course, if you think it's a challenge, it's a challenge, like everything else in life. If you think you're stressed, you're stressed. If you think you're angry, you're angry. It's the thinking that is the issue rather than the perceived challenge itself. It's what we think about. And yes, and yes, work-life balance presents all kinds of issues for people in their everyday life. I was talking to a client a couple of weeks ago about the extent to which his holidays had been serially interrupted over the years by work. And that meant sometimes when he'd be on holidays, he'd have to attend um, remote meetings on Zoom nowadays. Everybody's on Zoom nowadays, but this has been going on for years. Or his holidays might be curtailed, or indeed on a couple of occasions, all leave was cancelled as a result of things that were going on at work. He was talking to me about how just a couple of weeks ago, on a beautiful summer's evening, two of his daughters said to him, uh, can you come to the beach? You know, it's a lovely evening. We're going for a swim. We'd love to have you along because we're going off back to college in a couple of weeks time. And he couldn't do it. And I said to him, you know, when you took the job, you knew what you signed up for. It is one of the things that you have to deal with. But it is an awfully sad situation in which to find yourself. As he said, when I'm ready to be available for them, they will no longer be available for me. That ship has sailed. So, you know, work-life balance really does pose real-world problems for people. But, but a lot of what passes for a, an imbalance between work and life is in the head rather than in actual reality. I was talking to a client a couple of years ago who told me every Sunday, every single Sunday of his life is ruined because he has to work between about 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon to get ready for the week ahead. I said to him, aren't you a fool? He said, what are you talking about? I said, you're allowing one hour ruin the other 23 hours of the day including some of his sleep, because he'd wake up early or in the middle of a Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, thinking about it. He'd get up in a bad mood thinking about it. He'd have his breakfast and his lunch thinking about it. He'd be like a bear with a sore head to the people around him thinking about it. And what he was doing was thinking about something he knew he had to do between four and five, but he was thinking about it at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three, wasting his energy, wasting his Sunday. You see, when it comes to work-life balance, the balance is not between the hours we spend at work and the hours we spend outside work. 
the balance we're looking for is to be found between our own two ears. It is what we think about work. It is how we feel about work. It is the attitude we bring to the party of everyday life. After that conversation with my friend, he would get up on a Sunday morning, he'd meditate for a few minutes, which of course he should have been doing every morning anyway, meditate for a few minutes, changed his attitude, got his work done, not between four and five on a Sunday evening, he got it done between four and about 4.30, because he simply sat down and focused on what he had to do, rather than sitting down and grumbling and struggling through the hour. That's one of the key points in relation to work-life balance. If you don't like what you're doing, you're going to make what you're doing so much harder to do. And in the process, confirm to yourself that you were right not to like what you were doing in the first place. It's a vicious circle. You know, as I've said to people over the years, if you don't like your job, you have two choices. Number one is you can change your job. And some people say, oh, I couldn't do that, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Or the other one, which is actually much easier, is you could change your mind. You can change how you feel about what you're doing. You know, when I think about it, most of the research, most of the flow research done by the University of Chicago and the Haley Sydney High in the 1980s was done with people working in jobs that you and I would think were menial tasks, things that would bore you to tears. A lot of the research was done with people working on the auto production lines in Detroit, turning screws in engine blocks as they went past one at a time on the production line. How boring could that be? Well, it depends on your attitude to it. Some of the people had taken a particular attitude to ensuring that they turned the nut just perfectly as the engine block went past. And I suppose played with themselves in terms of finding ways to do it more energy efficiently and therefore get another little kick out of doing something that was boring some other people to tears. It's like, for example, stress. The same thing could happen to two people, and one person would be highly motivated and energized by it, and the other person would be stressed. It's what we think about what we're doing. It's what we think about the situations in which we find ourselves that dictates whether we have this balance that I'm talking about between our ears or not. Now, you might say to yourself, but I am under pressure at work. And a lot of people are under pressure at work, like my friend whose holidays were disrupted over the course of a number of years. Like my friend who I would talk to when he took on a new job a couple of years ago, who would wake up at four o'clock in the morning to be physically ill and go back to bed for a couple of hours, unable to sleep, knowing that he had to get up and face a day of high pressure. The pressure was real. The stress that was leading him to feel ill or get ill at four o'clock in the morning, that wasn't real. That's what he was thinking about the pressure. So as I said to him, yes, I know you have a high pressure job. And yes, I know actually it's a new job. So you're trying to learn the job and do the high pressure job at the same time. And that inevitably is going to cause an even greater level of pressure. But that level of pressure will pass once you settle into the job. And indeed it did. But the more important point was that, yes, you're under pressure. So which is easier to do what I have to do and just do it 
to the very best of my ability, or to think about the amount of pressure I'm under, magnify that pressure, lead me into stress, lead me into being less able or perhaps unable to do what I have to do, which leads to more pressure and more stress. It's a choice we make. It is a choice that we make moment to moment. What attitude do I bring to the party when I get up in the morning and go to work? Now, of course, a lot of people are not going to work at the moment, which has led to even more stress for the simple reason that in the past, we kind of, even though we moaned about it, knew where the demarcation lines were between work and life. And even if we didn't like our work-life balance or thought we didn't, at least we knew where one started and one ended. But when we were working at home, or if you are working at home, or worse, have been working at home and trying to ensure that the children your children are doing what they need to do to work from home too it becomes awfully complicated and in my experience in talking to people over the last year year and a half what has happened is that people are working longer hours working harder i'll come back to that in a moment use my use of the word hard are working harder and the lines between work and life have become so blurred that well, first of all, employers are taking advantage of it. They're expecting people to work when they shouldn't be working. They're expecting almost that their employees be on 24 hours a day. Now, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but I do know employers who are taking advantage of that. Whether they are or not, employees, people working from home, have been disadvantaged by the extent to which those lines have become blurred. We need to lay down rules. Not only do we need to have the right attitude to our work, but we need to know when to work and when not to work. A couple of cases in point. An awful lot of people with whom I work and have worked over the years, particularly in the large corporate world, moan about how other people in the organization, maybe their bosses or maybe their peers or colleagues or even the, the people that report to them, expect an immediate response to an email. And I ask them, how did that happen? And of course, when they think about it, they realize that the first time they got an email from this person, they gave them an immediate response. And actually it was them that set up the expectation of the immediate responsiveness that was expected of them. It was them that gave other people the bad habit of expecting that they would respond straight away. Most of the people with whom I work don't start their day by checking in on their emails. They do other stuff first. What's the other stuff? Well, obviously, there's one thing everybody with whom I work does or, or should do first thing in the morning, and that is meditate. Meditate for seven or eight minutes. Get your head straight before the day gets going, because if you don't, it's going to be awfully difficult to get your head straight afterwards. But they do other things as well. Obviously, they prepare themselves physically for the day ahead, like brush their teeth and comb their hair or shower and have their breakfast and do all that good stuff. But most of the people with whom I work will decide to do an important task before they check their emails. Now, it mightn't be an important task that they thought was important and therefore put on their to-do list. The analytical mind, the logical mind, will tell us you need to do this, that, and the other. 
in this order to get to a particular place? Or there are some things that are urgent that need to be done. The doing mind, the deep subconscious mind that enables us all to do just what we need to do to get to where we want to go in our day, in our career, in our life. That doing mind has different ideas because that doing mind, as I said a moment ago, knows exactly what I need to do to get to where I want to go. It also knows what I need not do. And therefore, most of the people with whom I work will ask themselves before they go to bed at night, what's the next most important thing I need to do? It's a very open question. And it's a deliberately open question for the simple reason that the more open the question, the more precise the answer your subconscious mind will give you. So most people with whom I work will find themselves doing an important task first thing in the morning, which may be on no to-do list at all because it, and I quote, occurred to them while they were having a shower. It might have occurred to them, by the way, while they were meditating. There's nothing wrong with that either. I know meditation is a particular training exercise to enable us settle our mind, clear our mind, still our mind, and be present in the moment while we're meditating so that we can bring that presence of mind to the cut and thrust of the day ahead. But sometimes when our mind becomes that still, important things do occur to us. And there's a world of difference between doing the important and doing the urgent. Indeed, very often when people do the important, what they thought was urgent kind of looks after itself or is done by somebody else or needed nothing done in the first place. Let me come back to the whole point about working hard because most people work hard or most people think they work hard. And of course, it's like stress. It's like hating your job. It's like everything else in life. If you think you are working hard, you're making it harder for yourself. There's a wonderful piece of research done. It's a neuroscientific piece of research that shows that people who don't know what they're doing have to work much harder to achieve what they're supposed to be achieving. So therefore, if you don't know exactly why you got out of bed this morning and what you're trying to achieve today, you're already making your day harder for yourself. That same piece of research shows that if you do know what you're trying to achieve, and I don't mean in life, I mean today, if you do know what you're trying to achieve today, everything becomes so much easier. That piece of research goes on to confirm that if you set yourself up right for the task in hand and you know what you're trying to achieve in doing the task in hand and you have a sense of what it'll be like when you have achieved the task in hand, then doing the task in hand becomes almost effortless. It's a wonderful piece of research. It shows that on the one hand, people who don't know what they're doing burn an enormous amount of neural energy, whereas people in the third scenario that I mentioned a moment ago burn almost no neural energy at all. It becomes effortless. Working hard, again, is related to your state of mind. If you think you're working hard, you have to work harder because you're working through that thought. And again, 
it confirms to you that you were right to think you were working hard in the first place. It's another one of these thought-fueled vicious circles. We're awful good at thought-fueled vicious circles as normal crazy people. You need to change all that by coming into the here and now, by turning up all present and correct and just doing what you need to do. But let me come back to the third scenario that I mentioned a moment ago. People who have readied themselves to do the task in hand. People who have mentally cultivated the right state of mind to do the task in hand. You see this all the time in professional sport. In particular, the one I'm going to pick on is tennis because you can actually see it live before your very eyes as a tennis player prepares to serve or indeed re receive serve. They have a ritual through which they go, which effectively is a meditation, or actually it's a mini meditation. Many, uh, perhaps most sports people, now I can't say this with my hand on my heart because I don't know most sports people, but I do know many top class sports people meditate every morning. And quite a number of people have written about it. I do know, for example, in professional football, in a variety of different types of professional football, there might be various different training programs for whether you're in offense or defense, if it's American football we're talking about, or whether you are in the scrum in rugby or one of the back line. So there might be different types of training you have to turn up to every day, and you don't have to turn up to all the training. But... There is one session that is obligatory, mandatory, because obligatory is kind of more like a French word, obligatoire. Anyway, sorry, slight digression there. One session is mandatory for all of these pros, and that is the session on mindfulness, on presence of mind, on turning up in the right state of mind to perform the task in hand. So most of my clients will in advance of say making a presentation or meeting a potential client or even doing something like their uh, VAT return, their tax returns, their uh, uh, monthly accounting, even mundane stuff like that, will take two minutes out before they start that task in hand to do a mini meditation to ensure that as they present themselves for the task in hand, they fully present themselves to perform the task in hand. Indeed, I was talking to a client on Monday who was going for a big interview yesterday. Heard from him last night, it went very well. But he said to me, he said, I'm going to get to where I have to be about 20 minutes, 15 minutes ahead of schedule. He said, what should I do? He said, because normally when I would do that kind of thing, I'd arrive in the reception of um, wh whoever I'm meeting. I'd sit there and I would look at one of the newspapers. And of course, in looking at the newspapers, he'd scramble his brain because most of the stuff in the news these days is brain scrambling stuff. Uh, a little bit of it is news and most of it is thoughts about news, opinion about news, or news about news, which isn't news at all. So yesterday, he did what I suggested he did when we spoke on Monday. And that was that he arrived 15 minutes ahead of schedule, introduced himself to the receptionist, was duly seated, and sat there for about 12 minutes, simply seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting where he was. Eyes wide open, one of the most 
effective meditations we can do to prepare ourselves for the task in hand. Of course, the big task in hand is living your life to the full. And if you haven't got the balance right between your two ears, that is awfully, awfully difficult. If not actually impossible. In fact, it is impossible for the simple reason that if you haven't got the balance right between your two ears, you're living through the fog of thought. And that isn't living at all. What it is doing is existing, struggling through the day from one day to the next, expecting different outcomes from using your mind the same way every day as true a definition of madness as you will ever come across. But when we get that balance right, everything begins to change for the simple reason that for starters, we begin to get a new impression of ourselves, or should I say an old impression of ourselves? Because we begin to strip back the nonsense that we learned in our formative years, strip back the repetitive thought that has been built on the nonsense that we learned during our formative years and get back towards our true nature of being wholly present in the here and now, just being free from thought. When you head in that direction, you end up hitting flow. We've talked about flow a few times and there's, there's a, a mountain of research in relation to flow. I even mentioned it a few minutes ago in relation to people making engine blocks on the auto assembly lines in Detroit. Flow literally is what it says on the tin. Your life just flows. So when you're working, you're working. When you're not working, you're doing whatever you're doing. And there are no lines of demarcation anymore. And I know we talked about lines of demarcation a moment ago. They're figments of our imagination too, because work is part of your life. There's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just you doing what you need to do from one moment to the next. And if you're in the right state of mind, if you have the balance between your ears right, then you're going to simply do what you need to do effortlessly. You're not going to think about whether I like my work or I don't like my work. You're bringing a new attitude to the party and you're actually coming to the point where you're beginning to simply do what you have to do for the sake of doing it. In the same way as I suppose Thich Nhat Hanh talks about putting the dishes in the dishwasher to put the dishes in the dishwasher, going for a walk to go for a walk, having a cup of tea to have a cup of tea, not guzzling down a cup of tea and scalding yourself because you have something else to do afterwards, not going for a walk to rush to do something, but simply being, because the more we focus on being, the easier it becomes to do. And the easier it becomes to do, we set up a whole new cycle. It's not a vicious circle, not a vicious thought-fueled circle anymore. It is the circle of life. It is the circle of your life, where you are living life to the full, even though you have to work. Now, that's an interesting one. Somebody said to me recently, I was having a long conversation with her about the fact that there were parts of her job that she really, really didn't like. And she was right not to like them, but that's neither here nor there. We won't go into the details. And she said to me, we were talking about what kind of work she might do or how she might change her career. And she said, you're not listening to me. She said, I do not want to work. I've had enough. Don't want to work anymore. Now, that was just a thought because what she realized was about two thirds of the work that she does, she loves. 
And when you realize that you're doing something that you love, it's not work anymore. It is what we might call a labor of love. And when you do that, you sail through your day, you sail through life. And even if there are parts of your job that you don't like doing, you'll do them all the better, like the people turning the nuts on the engine casings on the production line. You'll do it all the better and turn even an imperfect moment into a perfect one. You'll get satisfaction and fulfillment out of that too. What's the moral of the story here? There's no such thing as work-life balance. It is a nonsensical concept for the simple reason that there's just you doing tasks during the course of the day. Some of those tasks you wouldn't call tasks at all. They're wonderful, having fun, playing sports, you know, eating lovely food, drinking lovely wine. Well, where do you think I'm sitting? I have to talk about drinking lovely wine if you're sitting in France. All those things, the things we do, other things we do because we have to do them. Like uh, earning a living, I suppose. Although we might have a whole other session on that. But it's the attitude that we bring to every task we have to do in every now during the course of the day that either leads to us standing in our own way, tying ourselves in knots and making it harder for ourselves, or enables us simply do what we need to do to get to where we want to go. It's all about your state of mind. Everything is about your state of mind. It's about the state of mind you bring to the party in this now and in this now and in this now too. And as we've said before, the only state of mind worth being in is a clear, focused and present state of mind. You know what you have to do to cultivate that. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit wwwwilly 